Are you sitting comfortably? Then we'll begin. And now, shining the spotlight on the future of hockey, the World Juniors. This is Brad Lambert from Team Finland. I'm Oscar Olesen from Team Sweden. Hey, this is Dylan Grand. Hi, I'm Lane Hudson from the U.S. National Team. Dion Mishak. Fabian Lucell. Cole Perfetti. Hey, it's Jake Sanson. I play for Team USA. Major Junior. Hey, this is Matthew Kachuk of the London Knights. I'm Jonathan Yerudo from the St. John's Sea Dogs. Kirby Dock of the Saskatoon Blades. Hey, it's Alex Dabrinkit from the Erie Otters. Gerald Dubois from the Cape Breton Screen Eagles. It's Zachary LaRue from the Halifax Mooseheads. This is John Gunther of the Emerson Oil Kings. NCAA. Hey, this is Noah Hannafin from Boston College. Hey, it's Troy Terry from the Denver Pioneers. Quinn Hughes from the University of Michigan. This is Brock Faber from the University of Minnesota. It's Dylan Hollis from the Wisconsin Badgers. The NHL Draft. U.S. Lovkovsky from TPS. Hey, this is Kevin Krasinski of the Seattle Thunderbirds. Hey, guys, it's Cutter Goche from the U.S. National Team. Hi, it's Matt Savoy with the Winnipeg Ice. Hey, this is Sarah Manzel from Shaska High School. Nessa Goche, I play for the Quebec Ramparts. This is Ty Nelson from the North Bay Battalion. Hey, it's Dylan James from the Sioux City Musketeers. This is Rieger Lorenz from the Okotoks Oilers. And more. And welcome to the Pipeline Show. And this is the Pipeline Show. The Pipeline Show. Pipeline Show. Pipeline Show. The Pipeline Show. Great weekend, everybody, and welcome to the Pipeline Show. My name is Guy Flaming. I'm your host. Welcome back. If you're a returning listener, if you're a newcomer, then welcome aboard. And if you are a supporter via Patreon, uh, then an extra special thank you to you as uh, your contributions each month uh, really keep things going here for the Pipeline Show. So greatly, greatly appreciate it. Hope you're enjoying uh, early access uh, to all the interviews that you hear on a full episode of the Pipeline Show, patrons get early access. First crack at uh, hearing all of the interviews here. That's at patreon.com slash the Pipeline Show, by the way. The program brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. It's Alberta's best beef jerky. Three locations in the Edmonton area. The original in Leduc. They expanded out to Spruce Grove, which is the one that's closest to me. And the most recent uh, addition is the uh, kiosk. In West Edmonton Mall, just a stone's throw away from the Ice Palace on the lower level of West Edmonton Mall. i got four guests on this week's show. I'll tell you who will be joining me courtesy the Troubled Monk Hotline. We'll get to that in a bit. But first, got lots of news and notes to get to and updates uh, through the world of prospect hockey. Let's start with the CHL's top ten this week. Still holding down the number one spot despite their imperfect record is the Winnipeg Ice. The Sherbrooke Phoenix come in at number two, followed by the Quebec Rampart. The Seattle Thunderbirds, who are a perfect 7-0, they are number four, followed by the perfect 7-0 Portland Winterhawks. The Gatineau Olympique are number six. The Kamloops Blazers, who are 5-1-0-1, they are uh, ranked number seven. Mississauga is eight. The Ottawa 67s are ranked nine. And the perfect 8-0 Red Deer Rebels come in at number ten. Your honorable mentions this week are the Windsor Spitfires, Halifax Mooseheads, and the Everett Silvertips. Now let's get to the uh, scoring leaders in each of the uh, CHL leagues. No surprise at this point, but Connor Bedard is leading the uh, WHL in scoring. He has 10 goals, 21 points on the year. He's followed, though, by a couple of Everett Silvertips in Austin Reist, or Roast, or Roost. Might actually be Roost. I think they call him Rooster. Uh, he has 17 points, and Jackson Berezowski has 16 points, both members of the Silvertips. Tanner Howe, who is a uh, line mate of Connor Bedard, but don't uh, 
consider that to be a guy just riding on Bedard's coattails. Tanner Howe is a terrific player in his own right. He has 15 points. Then there are three players who are tied with 14. That'd be Lucas Siona of the Seattle Thunderbirds, who had a six-point effort uh, last week. Gabriel Sturch from the Kelowna Rockets and his teammate, Andrew Crystal, who is draft eligible this year. Uh, he actually has 13 points. I skipped over Owen Peterson of the Winnipeg Ice, who has 14 points. And I think probably one of the most underrated uh, 20-year-old players in the league. That guy can play on my team any day. Okay, we're going to move quickly, and we're heading out to the Ontario Hockey League. The uh, 67s, I mentioned uh, the WHL teams that are undefeated. Well, so are the 67s. They're 7-0 to begin the year, and they are the only remaining perfect team in the OHL. Brennan Othman of the Flint Firebirds, who is leading the league in scoring, but he's got company Ty Voigt from Starnia and Pavel Minchikov of Saginaw. They all, three of them, all three have 14 points right now going into this weekend's play. David Goyetta Sudbury has 12, as does Tucker Robertson from Peterborough. Dean Lucas of the Saginaw Spirit and Connor Lockhart from the Peterborough Peets, all with 12 points. So a tight race atop the OHL. In the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League, no team is uh, perfect anymore, but uh, Sherbrooke and Quebec are close to it, both sitting with uh, 850 winning percentages. Leading the way in scoring in the queue, having a terrific season is Justin Gill from the Sherbrooke Phoenix. He has 21 points, which is equal right now to Connor Bedard. Max Pellerin uh, from Victoriaville and Alex Doucette from Valdor are uh, next with 19 points each. Joshua Roa, who is in Sherbrooke with Gill, uh, he has 17 points on the year, and then three guys tied for fifth with 16 points. That would be Tommy Cormier from Victoriaville, a Sherbrooke Phoenix uh, forward, Ethan Goche, and Jordan Dume from the Halifax Mooseheads. The top 20 in the CJHL has been released, and uh, a change at the top as the Milton Menace from the Ontario Junior Hockey League. They slide into the number one spot followed by Battlefords, who were number one last week. The Toronto Junior Canadians uh, are now number three. That's up from number eight last week, so a big jump there for the Junior Canadians. Uh, Princeville is four, followed by Collingwood. The Portage Terriers out of the Manitoba Junior Hockey League, they are ranked number sixth. The Humboldt Broncos, seven. Terrebonne, eight. The Brooks Bandits, the top team in the AJHL, uh, they are now number nine. Uh, Summerside comes in at number 10. Your 11 through 20 reads like this. Steinbeck, Ottawa, Spruce Grove, Halliburton, Rockland, Cam River, Coburg. The Greater Sudbury Cubs are 18, followed by Hurst, and the Valley Wildcats are 20th. Speaking of the AJHL, I, I did a little uh, research. I was uh, had an invite to Ryan Bartoshik, uh, the commissioner of the AJHL, to come on this week, but uh, couldn't make it this week. Uh, possibly next week. He's going to let me know if he's available. But we've been talking recently about the makeup of the rosters in specifically the AJHL, but this probably goes for most of the junior leagues in uh, Canada, uh, including the BCHL, even though they're not part of the CJHL anymore. But just looking to see how many players in the AJHL are from Alberta on the rosters. And for the most part, I'd probably say it's an average of about 14 players from Alberta on each of the teams, uh, but some teams have more than that. Camros has 17, Calgary has 20 Albertans, Okotoks has 23 Albertans on their 24-man roster. This all according to the uh, website. 
the league's website. Uh, but for example, the Brooks Bandits only have six Albertans on their team. The Grand Prairie Storm only have eight. The Whitecourt Wolverines only have eight Albertans. So it's not just Brooks who has a largely non-Albertan roster. In fact, uh, Black Falls has 24 players. Less than half of them are from Alberta. They have 11 Albertans. And I did that exercise just out of curiosity. I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing, but it's a question I want to ask the commissioner is if he thinks it's a good thing or a bad thing. I also noticed that every team in the league, except for Okotoks, has at least one American player. Some of them have two or three. White Court has six Americans on their roster. I found that interesting. If you're curious, uh, Aiden Fink leads the AJHL in scoring. He plays for the Brooks Bandits. He has 30 points in 14 games. Fink is a committed player who is uh, going to Wisconsin as his team of choice. A five foot eight forward out of Calgary. I wanted to mention that just because going into this weekend's play in the NCAA, you know, talk more about that in a second. The uh, but what I wanted to mention was that the top five scores this year. Right now, coming into this weekend's play, two of them were actually teammates with the Brooks Bandits. That'd be Jacob Lee, who is at RPI and uh, currently leading the NCAA in scoring, and Ryan McAllister, who was there last year in Brooks. He's playing for Western Michigan. So uh, Brooks not just dominating at the CJHL level, but uh, some of those players doing really well once they get to the college level as well. Uh, The USHL has a new top team. That'd be the Fargo Force, who have... 11 points, but I guess if you're going by winning percentage, it would be the Lincoln Stars. Fargo's played one more game than Lincoln has, but both of those teams atop the Western Conference. In the East, it's Chicago, but it's a tight race. The Green Bay Gamblers right on their heels, just backed by one point and actually have a game in hand. And the top winning percentage in the Eastern Conference actually goes to Team USA, which I believe has been mostly the U17 team so far this year in the six USHL games. Top scorers coming into this weekend in the USHL, Jaden Perron from Chicago, Nick Moldenauer from Chicago, Mick Thompson from Chicago, and Mason Marcellus from the Lincoln Stars. One thing all four of these players have in common, they're all Canadian, dominating the USHL here early on. We'll see if they can keep that up all season long. Heading over to the North American Hockey League, uh, your top team right now uh, by points would be the Maryland Black Bears. They have 24 points and a pretty good cushion and top the East Division. But by winning percentage, it's the Lone Star Brahmas from the Dallas-Fort Worth area of Texas. More on that coming up shortly. But your top scorers in the NAHL, Christian Catalano from Maryland continues the league. He's got 20 points. Dave Andrichuk has 18. Brendan Dumas from the New Jersey Titans has 17. Another Maryland player in Dimitri Kebro has 16, as does Paul Minahan from the Northeast Generals. All right, lastly, it's the uh, college hockey top 20 from USCHO, and there was a a pretty big uh, change in the top 20 after last week's results with Quinnipiac going 1-0-1 in North Dakota. That hurt the uh, the Fighting Hawks. Denver was swept by Massachusetts, so they're obviously not the number one ranked team anymore. And Minnesota Duluth was swept by Minnesota State, so you know they took a tumble. So your new top 20 reads like this. The Minnesota Golden Gophers are now number one. Minnesota State jumps from five to number two. Quinnipiac jumps from eight to number three. 
Denver comes in now at number four. Michigan is five. Then you've got Massachusetts, North Dakota, St. Cloud State, Boston University, and Minnesota Duluth rounding out your top 10. And 11 through 20 goes Providence, Northeastern, Notre Dame, Connecticut, Harvard, Ohio State, Western Michigan, Penn State, UMass Lowell is 19, and Cornell, who haven't played a game yet. They are ranked 20th. Now, two weeks ago when Jimmy Connolly was on from USCHO, I mentioned that Connecticut was my team to watch in Hockey East. Last week on the show, I predicted that at some point this year, they will be in the top 10. I don't know how long they'll stay there. I don't know if they'll get higher than 10, but I just think they'll be in the top 10 at some point. They're now ranked 14. They've climbed all the way up now to 14. And this weekend, they've got a doubleheader against Boston University, who is ranked number 9. If they beat BU, if they split, there might not be a whole lot of movement. If they happen to sweep BU, could it be already this week that we see Connecticut get to the top 10? I don't know. That's a weekend matchup that I'm looking forward to watching, though. Some of the other games this weekend that uh, I'm going to keep an eye on, I got a busy weekend myself. Oil Kings are playing uh, two home games tonight and Sunday. So around that, when I can, I'll be uh, tuning into some uh, other hockey games. Uh, North Dakota is at Minnesota. That should be a, a pretty intriguing series this weekend. Colorado College has been playing pretty good. They're taking on Arizona State. Denver is hosting Providence this weekend. Providence has been playing good, and Denver coming off getting swept. I'm sure they're going to be hungry to turn that around. As will Minnesota Duluth. They welcome Wisconsin this weekend. And I do think that Minnesota State and St. Cloud State could be a pretty pretty interesting uh, weekend series too as the Huskies have been playing good and Minnesota State, well, we're going to learn more about the Mavericks in today's show. Why is that? Well, because I have four guests coming up on today's show, all of whom join me courtesy the Troubled Monk Hotline. New look cans for the Daycation Lager. But I'm glad they still have that one because it's uh, it's one of my favorites. If you're in Alberta and you can make it into Calgary, Red Deer, or Edmonton, there are three places you can pick up your orders that you place online. You can uh, pick them up in Edmonton at the Bountiful Farmer's Market or in Calgary at the Calgary Farmer's Market or Red Deer right at the tap room. But any Alberta liquor store has access to Troubled Monk, so if they don't have it, when you go in, I don't care if you're in Grand Prairie or Medicine Hat, or Fort McMurray, or Cold Lake. If you want Troubled Monk, and you're in Alberta, you can get it. Demand that they get it in stock for you. All right, my four guests that we're going to hear from this week, we're going to kick things off with a 2023 draft spotlight. Tanner Molendyke is a defenseman with the Saskatoon Blades, also played for Canada at the Ivan Holinka Gretzky Cup. I guess it's just the Holinka Gretzky Cup this past summer. We'll uh, chat with him as uh, the Saskatoon Blades making a tour through Alberta this week and we'll play here in Edmonton on Sunday. From there, a conversation with Shane Frederick from Puckato, who is uh, located in Mankato, Minnesota, obviously covering the Minnesota State Mavericks. So we're going to pick his brain about why that team is so dominant. They've just they've been the top team in their conference for basically a decade now. And is that a good thing for a conference to have the same team as number one for that long? We'll find out what Shane thinks. Then we're going to learn about some uh, draft-eligible players out of the Ontario Hockey League is Brock Otten from McKean's Hockey, as well as a new podcast uh, covering the OHL uh, via the Hockey News. Uh, Brock Otten will be my guest, and we'll close things out this week with the head coach of the Lone Star Brahmas out of the NAHL. His name 
is Dan Wildfong, and he is a Canadian. He's been down in Texas for uh, coming up to two decades now, so we'll get his backstory and a lot more about the NAHL as well. So a busy show, but we're going to kick it off with a draft spotlight. Tanner Mollendyke from the Saskatoon Blades. He's up first here on the Pipeline Show. Brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. Azarev still with the puck. Fires across and they score! Pierre-Luc Dubois on the one-timer. Wires it past Bo Taylor. Hey, it's Joe Dubois from the Cape Breton Screen Eagles, and you're listening to the Pipeline Show. Since 1965, Wilhawk Beef Jerky has provided fresh, top-quality beef jerky made with 100% Alberta beef. From your very first bite, you'll understand that real jerky isn't found at the convenience store. It's tender, full of flavor, with just a hint of subtle spices. Wilhawk's jerky is aged, seasoned, and marinated to lock in the flavors, and then smoked to perfection. Wilhawk Beef Jerky. It might just be the best you've ever tasted. Try for yourself. Search W-I-L-H-A-U-K today. You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. Who? It is The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming, the program brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. It's Alberta's best beef jerky, but you can get it anywhere in Western Canada. Go to wilhockbeefjerky.com. We're going to turn on the 2023 draft spotlight and uh, chat with another player who is eligible for the uh, next NHL draft. And for this segment, we are heading to the Saskatoon Blades and defenseman Tanner Molendyke is my guest. Uh, Tanner, welcome to the program. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Thanks for having me on here. I appreciate you making the time like this. Just got off the bus uh, into Lethbridge as we're chatting. It's uh, late on a Tuesday evening, uh, and you guys are getting ready to uh, go through Alberta here. Uh, nice to get out onto the road early in the season like this. Yeah, it's actually a really nice long bus long bus trip. Just get it out of the way. It's pretty nice. Well, uh, the team's playing pretty well right now. Six and two, he's sitting in... A fourth place in the Eastern Conference, but a win uh, behind a top uh, top seeded uh, the Winnipeg Ice right now, and uh, riding a three game heater. So I imagine the team's feeling pretty good about yourselves. Yeah, we're playing super good right now. It's been it's been fun. I mean, we got a good group of guys, so it's been it's been a good ride. Different atmosphere this year at all from compared to last year. I know last year was a pretty good team as well, but uh, this year just from the outside looking in, it seems like there's something a little different. Yeah, I think we just got everything we need to be honest with you. We got but a good group of guys, uh, those pickups in the offseason were huge, and I think we're, we got better. Well, I'm glad you mentioned that because I wanted to ask. You, you know, there was the big trade uh, with Seattle right before the season uh, starts, and Kyle Krenkovic goes the other way. And, again, I'm on the outside looking in, but I, I wondered what the reaction from the team was. This is a guy who was fifth in, in league scoring last year, and my first reaction was like, okay, that doesn't – and then I think about it a little more. Connor Roulette's a pretty darn good player. He's a year younger. You're going to have him longer. What was your initial reaction to that deal? Yeah, yeah, you never expect him that. But it's just we got a good guy. You know, you never expect that big of a trade from from one of your top guys. But we got a good guy in Roulette, and he's a super good guy off the ice too. So it's nice to have. All right. Well, let's uh, talk about your season uh, so far this year. And I don't know what your expectations are at the start of the year or something like that. But you got three points uh, through the seven games that you've played last year. You had eighteen points uh, over the course of the year. Are, are stats something that you care about? I mean, you're a defenseman. The first part of that job description is defense, but I know you've had some offensive years in your past. So what were your expectations statistically this year? Yeah, I think it's obviously to put up more points than last year. I mean, I want to 
maybe put up a point per game, but I think you just got to focus on winning first and getting those two points every game. I think that's more important. So I think I'm just going to focus on the defensive side and points will come. So when you say that, were you disappointed with last year for yourself? No, I just think I could have been a bit better. I mean, I didn't perform at my best standards, so I think I'm going to come out this year and be better. Was the difference, uh, or what was the difference this year, you know, going through a, a normal summer, normal preparation, normal training, no COVID stuff to worry about these days, uh, knock on wood, uh, compared to the last two, three years where, you know, that's always sort of been on the horizon or in the peripheral. Now that things are back to normal, do you feel better coming into the year because you had more of a normal off season? Yeah, I think you get to focus on more stuff. I mean, you get to look at everything, every part of your game and think, what do I need to work on? I think in the COVID years back then, you don't really, it's kind of all jammed up and you really didn't get to see what you needed to work on the most. I think that's one thing I took in this summer was find the things I needed to work on the most. And I think I got time to do that. And I think I really did a good job. Tanner Molendyke is my guest. He's a defenseman with the Saskatoon Blades, a, a, a draft eligible player. Uh, that we like to spotlight here on the Pipeline Show in this segment. And uh, Tanner, for the, the the Pipeline Show is a junior college show, so my regular audience will know about the Blades and they'll know about you, but there'll be casual NHL fans who don't pay attention to junior hockey or college hockey. They'll listen to a segment like this just because you're a draft-eligible player, so they might not know anything about you. So maybe let's start at the beginning. Uh, one sheet I look at says you're from uh, McBride, BC. Another one says you're from Kamloops. So what do you consider to your hometown? Uh, I consider my hometown uh, McBride. McBride. BC. All right. Uh, how many people in McBride? Oh, geez. Right now, probably I'd want to say 300 max, maybe. Okay. Why right now? Does it uh, fluctuate during the course of the year? I think so. Winter's a big big time for McBride. You get all the, all the skiers and yeah. snowboarders and it's a big, big time for us. All right. Well, uh, for those who don't know, McBride's about, what, about halfway between Jasper, Alberta, and, and Prince George, B.C., along uh, the Yellowhead? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, perfect. Exactly, right in the middle. What's it like growing up there in terms of minor hockey? Like, do you have to travel a long way to, to play competitive hockey? Um, I played, to be honest with you, I played host for my first six years of my career, and I played, we had to join up with a place called Belmont. So we had, right. I think it was... 11 guys to make a team, and we played from Pee to Bantam. Belmont, I believe. The snowmobile capital of uh, BC or Canada or something like that. I think that's the claim to fame from Belmont. Yep. Yeah. I, think, I think that's what it is, yep. yep. Uh, all right, so you were playing host league for a long time. Who got you into hockey uh, at a young age? I, I'm, I'm guessing it's your dad because I, I think he was a former player, wasn't he? Yeah, it was my dad and my, uh, my grandma's husband, yeah. All right, have you always been a defenseman? I have, yeah, always been a defenseman. Now, I know uh, at a young age, especially in a small town like that, maybe the uh, the coach will, will tell you when you're seven or eight, hey, it's your turn to put the pads on or something like that. Did you have one of those games? Everybody usually asked to take a rotation and play net. Yeah, I was actually, I got put in, put in the net a few times and I got lit up like a lamp, so I <laughs> never strapped on the pads again. The fence seems to be working out uh, pretty well for you. Uh, take me back to the Bantam draft. Uh, you didn't have to wait long to hear your name, a fifth overall pick uh, by the uh, the Blades back in 2020. And, uh, man, you had a monster season that year. 55 points in just 27 games for uh, for the Yale Hockey Academy. Uh, goaltending optional in that league or something? Where did all these points come from? Oh, I think it was just we had a super good team. We had guys like Benson and Newman and Keller. We had all those guys. We were just we were unbelievable teams. So I think it's showed it to them as well. All right. So is that why you think, all right, I've got more offense that I can bring to Saskatoon. It just hasn't shown up yet, but it's still that untapped potential there for you because you've done it in the past. 
Yeah, I think so. I think it's just I haven't, haven't gone up there yet, and I'm trying to get there. Uh, Sheet, I'm looking at Lissy at 5'11", 176, but I don't know how up-to-date that is. Uh, what are you at now? Uh, I'd say about six foot one, one eighty five, probably. Wow, six foot one. Okay, so a bit of a, a growth spurt. Do, do you do you feel any different on the ice than say a year ago? Yeah, I feel like I can handle more of the big guys better, and I can take more hits and get move away from hits more. I find it easier. Nice. For those who haven't had a chance to watch you or the Blades play, maybe first off, start with, can you give us a, a bit of a, a self-scouting report on you? I, I know you, you want to be more on a, of an offensive guy than uh, the numbers have suggested thus far, but stats don't always tell the whole story. So uh, how do you describe yourself as a player, Tanner? Yeah, I think I'm um, more of a two-way guy. I like to play, I like to get up in the rush and play offense, but I like to like to defend. So actually, I find it kind of fun to defend and, and uh yeah, I like being a two-way guy. Now, you're still one of the younger defensemen on your team. You know, Aiden Delagorjandi or Blake Gustafson. You got two uh, 20-year-old players uh, on your blue line. Merrick Schneider's there and Spencer Chagru and Charlie Wright. I mean, the, there's a lot of veteran presence. Uh, how does uh, a guy in his draft year want more exposure and, and more playing time when you, you're battling with a lot of friends here for, for ice time? Yeah, I think it's – I don't really look at it like that as a battle. I think I – Kind of look at it as what can I grow off from their game. You kind of pick things from their game and try and put it in your game. So I think it's, mm. it's pretty cool. Well, a lot of those guys are really big, uh, and you're not, uh, you know, six three or six four like Gustafson is and, and uh, whatnot. Do you stand out differently? Like, do you have a different job description than those guys? No, I think everyone has the same thing in this in our organization. It's do it. We'll do whatever you do best. And I think those guys obviously have their things, and I have my things. So I think we just do our own own ways. Tanner, when it comes to the NHL draft, uh, you know, I talked to a lot of players on this show. This is the 18th year of the program. So going back to like Steven Stamkos days. Uh, and I always ask guys how much they think about the draft. And it'll be one of two things. It'll be, I want to know where I'm ranked by TSN or by Sportsnet or whoever it is, or I don't want to be distracted by that sort of stuff. Which camp do you fall in? Yeah, I fall in, uh, don't really look at stuff. I kind of just play by year and see what happens. Interesting. All right. You were talking about things you were focusing in on the offseason or during the offseason that you knew you wanted to improve in your game. Can you talk about some of those things? Where do you, you feel like you still need to sharpen your skills uh, before you get to the next level? I think uh, two big things were my, my shot and my, my confidence. And I think I got a good mental coach for the summer and I really grew my confidence. So I think that was that was the main thing. And I think the other thing was just working on my shot and moving laterally on the blue line. I think those two things with my skating coach really, really got me up there. That's really interesting to me because most guys will tell me it's something physical, whether it's a shot or skating or they got to get bigger and stronger. The mental aspect of the game is not something most guys will, are willing to talk about. For you, that's been a challenge. How do you get, how do you uh, deal with that? How do you overcome it? I think it's just being able to move things in the past as fast as you can and not really thinking about it. But I think last year I was kind of, kind of got to myself and I think this year I kind of kind of know what's coming and I kind of can push to the side and just play my game without getting disrupted from all the outside noise. Does getting an opportunity like representing Canada at the Holinka Gretzky Cup is that a that's got to do wonders for a guy's confidence I would have to think that recognition feeling like yeah, I belong at this level. Yeah that was that was obviously huge that was it was awesome over the Maple Leafs but I think being there and getting that confidence from playing with those guys and Seeing what guys across the world can do is really special and grew me as a player and as a person. Nice. Uh, Tanner, uh, being a northeastern BC guy, I'm not sure if you have a uh, an NHL team uh, that you were uh, 
swore allegiance to as a kid growing up. Uh, I guess you're probably equally close to Vancouver as you were to Edmonton and maybe throw the flames in the mix too. Who is your team? Edmonton. I've been an Edmonton guy for the longest time and I think, yeah, Vancouver's close, but I gotta go Edmonton. All right. Any particular reason why? No, I just, just the place I've been, been the most, I guess. Watch, watch them play twice and I think it's just the team. Anybody, whether they're an oiler or just somebody in the NHL that you look to and you say, well, he's about my size. Maybe we can play a similar style of game. Somebody I can maybe pattern my game after and have success that way. Anybody come to mind? Yeah, one guy I really paid attention, like close attention to is uh, Nero Heiskanen on Dallas. I mm-hmm. really like this game, so he's been kind of cool to watch. Fantastic. Hey, Tanner, I really appreciate your time, man. Uh, I know you guys uh, have a couple of games here before we'll see you in Edmonton this weekend, but uh, looking forward to that game. Uh, enjoyed the conversation a lot. Best of luck. Yeah, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Tanner Mullendyke from the Saskatoon Blades. I chatted with him late on Tuesday as I'm recording right now. It's late on Wednesday, and the Saskatoon Blades are currently in action against the Lethbridge Hurricanes. They've just scored to take a 3-2 lead that nearing the end of the second period. Now, of course, by the time most of you will hear this, that game will long be over, and it'll probably be the weekend. But just letting you know, a little uh, look behind the curtain to see how and when uh, certain segments of the Pipeline show are put together. We should be hearing from NHL Central Scouting on their uh, future watch list, you know, where the the first one of the year, you get the A-rated players who are what they would consider to be first-rounders, the B-level players who would be, what, second to third, maybe fourth, uh, and then the C-rated players who are beyond that. I don't think Mullendike is going to be an A, but I don't think he's going to be a C either. I think he's going to be a B-rated prospect. That would be my guess. Uh, and we'll uh, we'll watch to see where he goes from here. Interesting that he says he's 6'1 now. I see the WHL website lists him at 5'11. They're usually pretty good with those, especially at the start of the year, so... Uh, We'll see. Maybe he's uh, having a bad hair day, so he's got an extra inch. We'll see. They will definitely uh, measure all the guys again at the combine before the NHL draft. But just keep in mind, Mollendike might be a little taller than he's currently listed at. Next up on the Pipeline Show, a NCAA campus report. The last few weeks, we've looked at individual conferences in the NCAA, and this week we're doing that as well. In the spotlight, it's the CCHA conference. And my guest, his name is Shane Frederick from Puck Cato in Mankato, Minnesota, covering the perennial powerhouse that is the Minnesota State Mavericks. But we're not just talking about the Mavs. We're going to do the whole conference. That is next here on the Pipeline Show, brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. Hi, I'm Matthew Wood, part of the University of Connecticut. Power play is over. Teams are five aside. Sent out front. Score! The freshman, Matthew Wood, and UConn has finally dented the brick wall that is Jakob Dobush. I'm here with the Pipeline Show. talent, development. NCAA hockey offers all that and its players graduate at a 93% rate. Trevor Zegras. And they score on the lacrosse move. Jake Gensel. Gensel Gensel. banks it towards the goal. He scores. Kale McCarr. Kale McCarr. He scores. 
stars on campus before the NHL stage. Whether you're a fan or a player, nothing compares to college hockey. Oh my goodness gracious me! Visit collegehockeyinc.com and follow at College Hockey. You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. Yo, ding dong, man. Ding dong. Ding dong, yo. Continuing on with this week's episode of The Pipeline Show, which is brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. But this is a campus report segment, and those are uh, courtesy of our friends at College Hockey, Inc. Uh, for those of you who are players or maybe you're a parent and your uh, kid is a player, uh, there are things you need to know that you can and can't do to maintain your eligibility. Uh, you can get in contact with Mike Snee or the crew over at College Hockey, Inc. Check out their website as well. Uh, great resource, and they'll answer any questions that you may have in that regard. All right, we're talking college hockey. We've done a few conferences already. Uh, we're early into the season now, and uh, let's do the CCHA. And if we're going to talk CCHA, you kind of have to start with the Minnesota State Mavericks as uh, they've been the dominant team in that conference uh, since it, before it was the CCHA. And uh, covering that team, he gets to watch a really good team every weekend. It's uh, Shane Frederick from uh, Pocato on Substack. Uh, Shane, welcome back to the Pipeline Show. It's been a long time. Thanks for uh, thanks for coming back. It has been a long time. I appreciate uh, you having me on. Well, it's, uh, it's a good time to chat with you because uh, what a weekend for the Mavericks. Uh, well, first off, I mean, they lose the first two games of the season. Uh, tough games, though. The non-conference schedule for uh, the Mavericks I like the way they don't. They go right to the heavy hitters. Uh, they start with Omaha, and then they get uh, Minnesota, the Golden Gophers, back to back. And then this past weekend, uh, man, they dismantle the Minnesota Duluth Bulldogs on Friday night and sweep them again uh, with a, a win on Saturday. But uh, how would you describe this start uh, for the Mavericks? Yeah, it's it's a it's a really good start. I mean, the Omaha game was an exhibition game. I think the Mavericks treated it like that. I don't okay. know if the coaches were completely pleased that the team treated it like that but they played each goaltender one period and tried some different guys at different you know different spots in the lineup shuffled things around kind of trying to see where they were at but I don't think they expected to go down to Omaha and get uh, blown out of the rink like they did so that you know that that raised a lot of eyebrows and certainly the big question mark going into the season is goaltending so then you, you then you look at the regular set season schedule uh, non-conference anyway, starting up and, and you have Minnesota right away uh, for two games, then Minnesota Duluth, then St. Cloud State, and then you go on your conference schedule. And, um, and, and Mike Hastings, the head coach, has said this to me a couple of times. You know, I think uh, in the spring or earlier, uh, you know, earlier in the year or whenever they put their schedules together and they work with uh, the the other teams. Um, this always seems like a really good idea, and then the season starts and they look at the gauntlet they have to go through, and they say they have to have their head examined. <laughs> but to answer your question, I think you know I, I don't think they could be you know I don't think they could have started you know much better other than sweep in Minnesota. But I, I think to to go on the road that first weekend and play pretty well uh, and lose four to one to a team that Mike Hastings says probably has the best defensive core in the country. Uh, you know, I think, uh, you know, they got their feet wet. They came home in front of a big crowd in Mankato and, uh, you know, played a super entertaining, entertaining game and, and won that one and then turned it around, you know, the next week. And I mean, to win six nothing on Friday night against Duluth. Um, Saturday being 2-1, that was a little bit more what you'd expect out of a, a Minnesota State, Minnesota Duluth uh, series. But uh, I, yeah, I was just, I think it's kind of been a, 
a little bit of a shocker just because there were so many questions going into the season on some big holes that they had to replace from a lot of guys who played on two frozen four teams. Well, you know, it's a good weekend when you have the defenseman of the week. That's Akito Hirose, who's Canadian uh, from up here, uh, and uh, Sam Hortons, who's the forward of the week. And you've also got the rookie of the week and Alex Tracy, all from the same team. So even though it was only a 2-1 win on Saturday, the, the fact that they were able to sweep uh, the Bulldogs like that, pretty notable. But really, we shouldn't be surprised by this at this point. Mike Hastings got to be one of the most highly regarded coaches in college hockey. This is a guy who had single-digit losses in the last four seasons, has never had a losing record at Minnesota State since taking over the program. It's almost to be expected now, isn't it, that the, that the Mavericks are going to be the team to beat in the CCHA? No question about it. And, and if you would have told me that ten, you know, over a little over ten years ago when he was hired, um, if you would have told me he was going to have that kind of success, I would have probably thought he'd uh, be long gone to a, to another program. But Minnesota State has, you know, done him right, and he has stuck around. And you know, a decade of great success has meant nothing but uh, improvement uh, on the ice, but also off the ice with the the way the community has rallied around that program, uh, the way you know they they played a um, you know, very full, if not uh, sellout crowds um, at a really nice arena in Mankato. And I, I, it's just, it, it makes it fun. And, and yeah, there is an expectation now. The bar has been raised. And I think that was the big thing going into this season, especially when you lose a goaltender like Dryden McKay, who they didn't even have to worry about uh, making a goaltending decision week after week for three and a half years. And you lose three um, you know, veteran defensemen, and you lose three pretty darn good uh, forwards, including uh, a second-round NHL draft pick um, in Nathan Smith. I, I, you 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 kind of look at the team and say, okay, Frozen Four might be a pretty high bar, or even you know having a winning record against uh, the in, other in-state powers in Minnesota. Um, you know, hey, let's maybe tap the brakes and, you know, what, where should that bar be? And lo and behold, <laughs> they're three and one and <laughs> against uh, uh, two of those teams in the state. And, and they're heading up to St. Cloud this weekend feeling pretty good about themselves. Well, if the question mark coming into the season was who's going to be the goaltender, goaltender, do we have an answer yet? Or is this, do you expect it's going to be a platoon for the uh, entire season? Yeah, I, I think they're going to, you know, unless they, they really have someone in mind who's who who they've expected to be the number one guy, which I, I don't think so. Uh, I, I think they're going to platoon it for a while. I don't know exactly um, if it's going to be, you know, you know, we had Ke- we saw Keenan Rancier uh, the first weekend play both games, and they went with Alex Tracy both games last weekend. They have a third goalie, Andrew Miller. Um, you know, I don't know if he's a number three for sure or if he is a guy who will be in the mix as well. Um, I'll be curious to see what they do on the road this weekend. It might depend on if they win or lose, of course, on Friday. Um, but, uh, you know, they, I think it'll be a while before they, you know, make a decision on one guy if indeed they eventually do that this season. Uh, with Dryden McKay, I remember his freshman year, uh, you know, he had some competition in goal. He had a, there was a grad transfer, Matthias Israelson, who played at Northern Michigan, came in and he, he played about uh, eight games that season and uh, most of them early on and I think um, you know since you know about mid-season uh, that year uh, Dryden McKay pretty much uh, uh, you know played all but 
just a handful of games. I think it might have been eight games the rest of his career that he he didn't start, which is hmm. uh, a, a kind of an unbelievable uh, uh, statistic. Shane, just out of curiosity, when you look at the the, the conference and because uh, Minnesota State has been so dominant. From the outside looking in, I wonder, is that a good thing or not? I mean, it's, you, it's not like you're going to go to Mike Hastings and say, hey, can you not be so good this year? Give someone else a try. <laughs> but the other teams, I mean, they, I'm sure they're trying, but wouldn't it be better if uh, there was some turnover and it wasn't the same team at the top every year? Well, I'm sure if you, you pulled the uh, the other eight teams in the conference, they're going to tell you that for sure, right? Yeah. So, uh, you know, but the thing is, I mean, I, I you know, there has been, they have been so dominant. It really is kind of unbelievable that they've been able to s- sustain that. Because if you go to the days before um, in, in the, uh, what we had called the new WCHA, kind of the precursor to the current CCHA, yeah. um, you know, the, you've had, You've seen resurgence. The big college hockey shakeup that t- took place in 2013, uh, you know, ended up kind of benefiting Minnesota State and Michigan Tech and Bemidji State and Bowling Green. Those programs had all kind of been, you know, floundering a little bit in their conferences, and most of them figured out how to turn things around. But the only one team has really sustained it through that entire time and that's been minnesota state hmm. um but saying that you know it's a lot of a lot of conference championships have come down to uh the final couple of weekends of the season bemidji state um has become a pretty good rival michigan tech has been rock solid over the last few years and has made the ncaa tournament um uh, bowling green has given them fits northern michigan looks like a team that uh, people have their eye on a little bit this year um, so, you know, given all of that, you know, it's probably not as one-sided as it appears just because night after night, um, you still have to get through that schedule. But, you know, the last couple have been, yeah, you're right, pretty dominant for Minnesota State. And, you know, how many times now in a row, five times in a row, they've, they've won the McNaughton Cup. And yeah. Just an impressive, impressive run, which is it's, it's really surprising. And a couple of frozen fours now in a row, including a national championship game, but uh, have yet to win the national championship. I got all that correct, right? That's correct. Uh, all right. Well, enough about the Mavericks. Uh, we can't let you go. There's seven other teams in the conference right now, and and uh, another one on the way next year, right? Because that that'll be August Anna joining the group next year. Correct. Wow. So. That's right. Yeah, that's right. That that's exciting. It's exciting to see the sport grow. That's for sure, and have a. You know, two pretty new programs, um, and then both right in the, you know, Minnesota State's backyard and, mm-hmm. uh, with St. Thomas and, and now Augustana. I think that, um, you know, and I think both of those schools, um, will, you know, will improve over time. I think they're both in really good positions to, um, have really good programs. I, you know, they might take them a few years, but I expect, uh, when St. Thomas gets its rank built, Augustana is building its rank right now. Um, I think those are two programs that are both in locations that are um, that are very, that are going to be uh, really beneficial to uh, in, in the recruiting game. I know you kind of mentioned it briefly, but uh, beyond the Mavericks, who's the best team in the in the conference this year? It's a good question. I mean, I think Northern Michigan. A lot of a lot of people had their eye on them. Uh, I, I would probably say it's Northern Michigan. Um, you know, they're. Uh, Grant Patoni's done a really good job up there in, in, in the last few years. It seems like they've been kind of on the cusp of of uh, of really turning the corner and, and, and making a run. Maybe this is the year for that. Um, you know, we'll see if that, uh, that in, in, indeed be, is, is the case. I'd probably pick them uh, right now. But 
you know, I, I think, you know, Bowling Green, Bemidji State, they're going to be hanging around. Uh, I think Michigan Tech's lost a lot from last year, but I think they're also going to be uh, – Joe Sean's done a really good job with them. Uh, they seem to have found a way to not uh, dip too far when, when they have some turnover. And that leaves Ferris and Lake Superior and, and of course, uh, the new member, uh, St. Thomas. Well, I guess not new this year, but uh, still uh, in the infancy of its uh, of its program to, to battle it out. Right. Uh, if there's a a, a a player that maybe is in the Hobie conversation, uh, like we've seen with uh, Dryden McKay the last few years, or in his case, the Mike Richter Award as well, is there anybody from the conference that immediately comes to mind? You know, I'm I'm I might pick Jake Livingstone, the mm. uh, uh, defenseman for Minnesota State right now. I mean, he is a guy who had a chance to sign last year, I think, or had some offers and decided to come back for uh, for his junior year. Uh, he has gotten better and better. He's played a ton of minutes already this season. Um, you know, they have three veteran defensemen, Minnesota State, and, and uh, um, filling in the other three with some guys who have had very limited time or are freshmen. And he's just been a horse playing a ton of minutes. His offensive game continues to improve. Um, you know, I could see him um, just being a guy who who, who takes a, a, another step and, and really becomes a dominant uh uh, defenseman for for Minnesota State, so I, I think that, that that would be the first name that comes to mind, um, you know, off the top of my head, off you know f- from the conference and and you know from Minnesota State in particular. Another Canadian uh, there with uh, Livingston, yeah, and uh, absolutely, well, yes, sir. Like to pump the tires of the Canadians, though, on this show. <laughs> You're welcome to do so, of course. I have no problem with that. When it comes to the potential uh, NHL free agents, the ones that all the NHL scouts are watching, I would have to think Livingstone, as you mentioned, had a chance to do it last year, and, and Ikito Hiroshi would have to be up near the top of that list uh, out of the CCHA too, correct? Yeah, I think so. I think those two, as well as Brendan Furry, uh, um, senior center and captain for Minnesota State, uh, he's off to a little bit of a slow start uh, points-wise. You know, he's moved into a, a, a bigger role, both as a, in the leadership uh, position as well as in uh, just you know, kind of filling that the hole at the number one center spot that Nathan Smith held last year. So that's going to be, you know, I think that. You know, I think we sometimes forget. Um, you just kind of assume maybe those top, you know, guy in a top six uh, role is going to just uh, be able to move uh, move up. But you know, more eyes are on him. More teams are game planning against him. They're not, you know, they don't have Nathan Smith to worry about. And and suddenly Brendan Furry has to figure out a few more things and find a few more tricks up his sleeve uh, out there. So uh, you know, I, I knowing him a little bit, I have no no. Uh, no doubt that he'll figure things out. He's got good players around him, and it's just—I think—that's just been a little bit of a, a next step for him. But starting to see some of those other guys, um, you know, at the at the top of the Mavericks forward list, um, you know, really make some strides here early on. And another guy I think is an interesting player is Andre Pavel uh, from the Czech Republic. He had such a strong NCAA tournament last year. Uh, I'll be curious to see. You know what? You know if he um, goes on a big run here, if if he he gets any looks, um, he's just uh, you know a guy. He he had a great moment on uh, um, Friday, Saturday night against Minnesota Duluth, um, uh, killing a penalty, going down to the wall behind his own net, and um, or excuse me, at the Mavericks uh, end of the uh, ice, and he held off three uh, Duluth defenders uh, while he <laughs> holding the puck along the wall and killing off. About 20 seconds of that penalty kill uh, alone, but with, with uh, 
um, three guys on his back. It was about as impressive as it gets, and the crowd appreciated it, which was a lot of fun. Rory, let you go. A couple more. Uh, both the Alaska schools are back now that the uh, Seawolves are back, and we I haven't heard any sort of update on Alabama-Huntsville, but these are all teams that kind of used to be uh, lumped in with the current CCHA uh, teams when it was the old WCHA. But uh, any nostalgia for uh, uh, teams going up to Alaska and uh, and down to Huntsville? Yeah, I'll be curious to see if, uh, if Minnesota State and the other uh, teams in the, in the CCHA will, will play those play them in non-conference and yeah I'm curious to see what's going to happen at Huntsville as well really nice to see Alaska Anchorage uh, find a way to keep that program going and and uh, they're they, they got off to a nice little start and you know maybe some of the best uniforms in uh, college hockey so you hated to see the Seawolves uh, logo go away so yeah. I'm, I'm I'm happy for them up there and hope that they can kind of figure things out and get the, you know, the crowds back in the rank uh, watching the Seawolves play. Cause I, I, you know, I just, I think there's so, so many unique things about uh, college hockey. And, and one of them is having, you know, division one schools uh, in Fairbanks, in Anchorage, mm-hmm. Huntsville, uh, you know, schools that aren't necessarily the big power schools that you see throughout the other sports in the NCAA, but, but uh, have some, um, very um, fun atmospheres for a sport like college hockey. And, and so, um, you know, as it grows, uh, you hope it doesn't go away in, in some of those uh, unique uh, uh, venues. Uh, and lastly, with uh, so many new teams uh, entering, and you go back, it's not that long now, Arizona State uh, has uh, gone Division One. We Now we've got Lindenwood and Long Island and uh, Stonehill coming in, Augustana next year. Uh, talk about while well, Robert Morris is coming back. Just talk about all these other programs that could start up. The question I'm asking all my uh, NCAA guests, media-wise, is: Do you see the national tournament expanding from 16 teams? You know, I don't see it quite yet. I think there's going to have to be uh, a, a quite a, a little bit more of an expansion, and and really have the expansion teams uh, have their feet wet in in the sport. I think once that happens, you might see it expand a little bit, but I, I have a hard time seeing it go. Uh, you know higher than 16 i remember a couple of years ago when a couple of teams were going away some people were talking about should they go back down to 12 and mm. i don't want to see that but um you know if if these teams that come in end up forming another conference where that conference gets an auto bid there might be some talk about trying to find a way to do that maybe you add two more teams give the top seeds a buy something like that um but i don't quite see it yet um but it's uh it's certainly food for thought with Augustana, that makes the CCHA a, a nine-team league. That's kind of a uh, a wonky number. You kind of like to have an even number of teams. Uh, do you think there are, there's another one in the mix? Yeah, it's a good question. You know, I, I'd be curious to see what uh, you know who might emerge. You know, there's always there's always rumors. Um, you know, there's always talk about do you go back and get one of these teams that have kind of restarted, or do you go after an Arizona State? Um, I, you know, I don't know. I think it has to be the right fit. It has to be the right school and the right fit. Um, I've never been one to think that an odd number of teams is a big detriment. It mm-hmm. does make it tough when it comes to your playoffs, yep. just because you give the top team a buy or do you, and then of course lose out on, you know, revenues from a, 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 a weekend of home games or, you know, or do you leave out the number nine team? Do you, do you, um, just end their season at the end of February, early March. I, it, I think it is wonky. 
there, but I think from a scheduling standpoint during the regular season, um, you know, most of these conferences are playing, uh, um, you know, an unbalanced schedule as it is. So I'm, that worries me less, but, um, I don't know. It's going to have to be the right fit. I think, uh, you know, they just reformed last year. The CCHA broke away from the old WCHA. And I think, um, you know, for certain reasons, you know, are, are really looking hard at making sure that their conference is on the rise and, and, um, competitive and, you know, getting closer to what, I mean, it's a long way away, but getting closer to what the NCHC is, is the big 10. And mm-hmm. I think if you, um, if you tr- just expand for expansion's sake, you, you don't, it doesn't do you a lot of good in that in that instance. Fair enough. Uh, what do you got coming up at Pocato that fans uh, should take note of? Well, you know, I just I, I try to keep track of everything going around around the league and, and put up uh, uh, and do my Friday morning skate uh, column. I do my Freddy's fr- three thoughts after every weekend. I'm trying to mix in a few other things. I'm um, working on a piece that I'd like to put in about some of the weird uh, <laughs> the weird replay goals that Minnesota State has uh, either suffered or taken advantage of usually suffered um, there was one crazy instance on uh, uh, th- th- on Friday night that would have been a seventh goal so it was it was really a no factor but uh, a clear goal that was uh, that was not allowed to be re- replayed because of a problem with the replay system even though everyone could see it on the big screen uh, <laughs> that it was clearly a goal apparently the referees can't look up <laughs> they can only look at uh, so uh, you know it just made me think uh, over the years there have been some some very strange goals going back to last year's Mason Cup championship game, the CCHA, where the teams came back out on the ice an hour after the game ended yeah. uh, to replay uh, the game. Uh, the Mavericks getting uh, uh, an overturned uh, or a, a waved off goal, goal called it a goal against them in the 2015 um, NCAA tournament first round. Um, there's a few others. A big, there was a phantom goal in 2002 that I think nobody thought went in except for a goal judge and a playoff game at Wisconsin in 02 that I recall that uh, um, replay technology was not up to snuff at that point. Um, so, I, you know, I'm working on a piece like that. I think that's those are the kind of stories I'd like to write. I've had enough history covering the team for the Mankato Free Press, who were great to me for 20 years, and, and try to, you know, use some of that background and stories from the past and, and try to mix that in with the, with the coverage and try to do something a little different than maybe what you're seeing on the everyday uh, uh, beat coverage from from the, the great beat writers who are out there. Don Lucia have some comments uh, about that uh, for your uh, for your story or <laughs> at this point he's probably not have... wanting to talk replay at all. <laughs> he was pretty good that night I will say that I'll give him a lot of kudos uh, you know I don't know if they made the right decision or the wrong decision ultimately but uh, I give that guy a lot of credit for uh uh, you know, sitting down at the at the uh, podium and and uh, taking the taking the bullets from the media that night and yeah. questions and you know defending his decision and uh, the more you can have someone uh, in a leadership position like that uh, stand up and 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 really give you good answers even if you disagree um, with them uh, it, it makes the sport better makes us all understand things better and, and try to figure out why certain decisions are made so i give don lucia a lot of credit for what he did after that game as bizarre as it was <laughs> shane this has been fun man i appreciate your time i hope you don't mind if i call you again anytime Gee, this is great i appreciate it that's shane frederick from puck uh, in mankato minnesota covering the minnesota state mavericks and uh, the rest of the ccha and you know, when i was talking to him about the uh 
how it'd be nice if there was somebody else that was, you know, could knock off the Mavericks uh, off their perch that they've been on top of for like a decade now. And I- I'm trying to think if there's another conference in the NCAA, and I don't think the answer is yes to this, but has there been a conference that's just been dominated by one team for this long? You know, the NCHC isn't that old, but we've seen St. Cloud be number one. We've seen Denver be number one. We've seen Duluth be number one or North Dakota. So definitely not the NCHC. Hockey East, you got BC and BU. They always seem to be trading back and forth. And right now it's Northeastern. And before that, it was Massachusetts. So it's not Hockey East. Big Ten. All right, you got Michigan. You got Minnesota. But when Big Ten started, I'm pretty sure it was Penn State that was the number one team. Notre Dame was really good there for a stretch. Ohio State is coming on now. So the Big Ten was in that situation. The ECAC, you could make an argument that we always see Quinnipiac and Clarkson and Cornell and Harvard, but that's four teams. Sure, it might be one of them every year, but that's four teams. At least there's competition. And with Atlantic hockey, I guess lately it's been AIC. You know, Eric Lang has had a good program there. Since he took over back in, uh, what was that, about 2017-ish? And I think since 2017, he's only had a losing season once. So the last five years, they've been a dominant team in that conference. But are they without a peer? Maybe that's the closest uh, we could make that argument to. But you let me know. Hit me up on Twitter, at TPS underscore Gee. If you missed it earlier, Tanner Mollendike from the Saskatoon Blades was in the 2023 draft spotlight. And coming up next, Brock Otten from McKean's Hockey is going to talk to us about some 2023 draft-eligible players. And it might have another guest lined up after that as well, potentially even two, if suddenly two of these guests that I've uh, reached out to both come together before the end of this week. Only time will tell. You're listening to The Pipeline Show, brought to you by Willock Beef Jerky. Feist off the boards to center. Now over the blue line, Bedard, high slot, drag, what a move, Bedard, through the legs, scores! What a beautiful goal by Connor Bedard in Calgary! Holy smokes! I'm Connor Bedard for the Regina Pass, and this is the Pipeline Show. Oscar from Atchison loves Wilhawk beef jerky. I'll never forget it. Heading to the lake. Three screaming kids in the back. Let's get ice cream, we said. Sour, soupy sundaes all over the van. But then I found Wilhawk beef jerky. Tender, seasoned pieces of meat smoked to perfection. Perfect for keeping little mouths busy. And best of all, no sloppy surprises. And I always make sure to bring a little extra to eat around the campfire. Thanks, Wilhawk. Wilhawk beef jerky. It's the best. You're listening to the Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. Mm, what you got, Biatch? Hey, we're back on the Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. Of course, the program brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. Go to wilhockbeefjerky.com. Uh, we are going to talk some uh, 2023 NHL draft and uh, with a focus on the Ontario Hockey League. As I'm uh, pleased to be joined once again by a good friend of the Pipeline Show, that's Brock Otten from McKean's, and now also the hockey news, uh, Brock. Maybe we'll start with that because it's it's brand new news this week. Uh, tell me about this new uh, podcast you got. 
Yeah, so it's, it's first, thanks for having me back on again. And uh, the new Hockey News one, there's going to be uh, a weekly podcast with Tony Ferrari and I covering the OHL. Um, the Hockey News is sort of branching out with their podcasts and they're going to be covering the three CHL leagues once a week. And uh, Tony and I are doing the OHL one, which is really exciting. The first episode just got released today. Um, so, you know, after you watch or listen to your wonderful podcast, head on over <laughs> and uh, and listen to that one as well. All right. Thanks for that. No competition. It's all uh, it's all good. <laughs> all right. We're going to chat about a number of guys out of the OHL that you uh, sent me a list of. And uh, some of them, I think, are pretty recognizable names. Maybe a couple of that are on the radar, but maybe a little uh, further to the edges of the radar for a lot of people. But let's start with uh, Cameron Allen, uh, the defenseman with the Guelph Storm, who I think their expectations are pretty high for this guy coming into the year. What's he shown you so far? Well, Guelph as a team has probably been the mis- most disappointing team in the OHL so far. Mm-hmm. Um, they came into the year as uh, a favorite to, to win the title this year, and they can't keep the puck out of their own net. Um, goaltending defense has been a big issue. Uh, team chemistry so far has been an issue, and they just don't look very good. Uh, I think Cam Allen hasn't been the sole problem there i think he's looked pretty decent um but i don't think he's looked amazing uh i think there's definitely a lot of room for for him to grow uh, i kind of thought that he would come into the year and and be one of the better defenders in the ohl in his draft year and i thought that he was the main contender to be the first defenseman selected this year i still think that that he is at this current time um but there's no question that in order to keep that status i think he's going to have to elevate his play over the course of the season as well um, so uh, it's kind of been a lukewarm start for him, I would say. Canada's captain at the Holinka Gretzky Cup this past summer. Uh, was he better in that tournament than, than he has been so far in the OHL, in your opinion? Yeah, absolutely. I, I thought he had a great uh, Holinka Gretzky Cup. Uh, I thought he showed well at both ends of the ice. And, and like you said, he was the captain of that team, and uh, I thought he was one of the better defenders in the tournament as well, uh, overall. Um, so, again, that sort of fed into the hype or the belief that I thought he could come in and be an immediate sort of top defender in the OHL this year, especially he had a really strong rookie season last year too. Mm-hmm. Um, but just hasn't, uh, hasn't really gone uh, the way or according to plan so far this year. I think he's maybe trying to do a little bit too much, um, you know, the with Daniel Chaco moving on and, um, you know, a lot of the spotlight being on Guelph to start the year as a, as a potential contender or, I think maybe he is trying to do a little bit too much, especially offensively. We're seeing him kind of get caught sometimes with some bad pinches and some poor decisions with the puck instead of just kind of keeping things simple and going with the flow of the game. Um, So, yeah, that'll be something to monitor over the course of the year because I do think that he is the potential sort of complete package as as a two-way defender. Um, In my preseason write-up, I kind of compared him to a guy like Charlie McAvoy. I think that's sort of, you know, best-case scenario for him somebody who excels at both ends and can be uh, a really strong top pairing or at least top three defender for, for a team in the future. And uh, I, you know, it's not a terrific year for defensemen as great as this uh, draft looks at this current time. Um, it is on the weaker side for defensemen at this current point in time. And um, I would still probably have Allen right at the top of that list, but uh, you know, in, in two months, if the, if the play continues to sort of be at that, mid-level, I think that he's definitely in risk of, of being passed. Uh, another guy who was on the Holinka Gretzky Cup team for Canada, this time a folder, uh, a forward rather, is uh, Colby Barlow, who is uh, playing for the Owen Sound Attack. And 
that looks like on paper at least got some size, uh, putting up some numbers this year. Uh, looks like he is having a pretty good start to the season. And he's a captain already in Owen Sound. Pretty young to be a captain. Yeah, I mean, that speaks volumes to the type of character he has, right? This is this is a player who is built to play in, in today's NHL. Big body, fantastic speed, really good skater, uh, really strong at both ends of the ice already, really smart, good goal scorer. Um, you know, I, I remember when we chatted a few years ago about Jack Quinn, and I kind of used the, the phrase... You know, uh, it's very rare that you find a, a skilled scoring forward who doesn't have to have their min- minutes uh, sheltered, right? Like most of those top snipers, those guys who are 40, 35, 45 goal scorers, uh, their zone starts have to be sheltered, right? They're just not as good in the defensive end. There's only so many Marion Hosas out there, you know, in, in the hockey world, right? That's, that's sort of a, the first thing that kind of comes to mind when I think of, a really good goal scorer who's strong at both ends of the ice. And that's Barlow. Um, and that's why I think that he's going to continue to push up the, the draft board, kind of similar to the way that Cutter Goche did last year, right? right. Um, you know, it was a very slow burn, but it's because players like him, goal scorers with size and speed and a strong sort of two-way acumen, they're just very hard to find. Um, Barlow obviously isn't going to move to center the way that, you know, Goche potentially uh, could and, and has started the, NCAA season, um, but there's still a lot of value there, and he started the season very well, had a great Holinka Gretzky, had started the year well with Owen Sound on a really strong Owen Sound team. Um, there's really just a, a lot to like when it comes to Barlow. All right, eighth overall pick in the uh, OHL priority selection in his draft year, uh, and uh, living up to those expectations. That's good to see. All right, we're going to Kitchener now as we move quickly, uh, and a name that uh, I'm going to butcher for sure, so I, maybe I'll just call him Hunter B., but it could be Hunter Brustowitz, the defenseman with the Kitchener Rangers, who played with the program uh, the uh, last couple of years in the United States, but uh, made the jump uh, to the Ontario Hockey League. Uh, tell me about Hunter and uh, what sort of an impact he's made here in the OHL. Yeah, and I mean, the expectations were quite high with him being a, a later birthday and him coming right from the under-18 team. He didn't play a ton. Um, has had some injury issues in the past, and that's sort of why he, I think he joined Kitchener, given the opportunity to play a top pairing role right away instead of going to college and maybe, you know, in his draft year, not getting the kind of ice time that he needed to, to prove that he was one of the top defenders available. Hmm. So Kitchener has obviously afforded him that opportunity, and I think he's played well. Kitchener's kind of had a bit of a slow start. Um, but they've been playing better lately, and they're starting to get uh, some of their players back. They just got Philip Mishar from Montreal, and they just picked up an overage goaltender to solidify that situation. Um, and, and he's played quite well, I would say, given the minutes that he's been asked or, or tasked with. Um, really strong inside the offensive zone. Solid forward mobility. Uh, keeps the puck in well. Can quarterback the power play. Good decision maker. Um, defensively, you know, I, I do think there's some room for improvement, but... Um, I think this is a potential top four defender. I think he's going to get better as the season goes along too. Like I said, you know, not playing a ton last year and then having some injuries. I think his development, um, you know, was slowed a little bit. And mm. I think that we'll see him get better as the year goes on because of that. Well, I'm glad you mentioned the injuries because the season prior to his U17 year with the program, it, crazy numbers. He had 111 points in 66 games uh, playing for the Oakland Junior Grizzlies. And I don't know what the quality of that league is, but I'm assuming it's pretty good. It's uh, a lot of guys, if you're stepping right into the program from there, uh, it's got to be a pretty good league. But 
Those are monster numbers, and he's a defenseman. Uh, keep that in mind, 111 points. Uh, but then the next couple of years at the program, as you mentioned, didn't play a ton, and not a big offensive start to this year, although seven points in six games, maybe I should uh, catch myself. It is a point per game there, but maybe some uh, some more offense than he's been able to show in the last couple of years? Yeah, I would agree with that. Like uh, You mentioned his his play with the Oakland Junior Grizzlies, and he was probably my favorite defenseman available for that OHL draft class. Hmm. Um, really liked what I saw from him in that year, and uh, that included some, some really good players. Like That was Seamus Casey's OHL draft year as well. The two of them were really strong prospects coming out of the U.S., um, and... You know, I think that the sky's the limit in terms of his potential. It's just a matter of how much some of those injuries and sort of the lack of playing time the last couple of years have had on his development. And we'll kind of we'll kind of have to, I think, evaluate his season in sort of chunks um, and see how he progresses, sort of from like a two month to two month basis. Uh, so far, I think there's been a lot of positives. A few negatives, so let's see how some of his playing the defensive end gets hired out. All right, Quentin Musty was the first overall pick in the OHL prior to his selection a couple of years ago for the Sudbury Wolves. We saw him at the Lincoln Gretzky Cup playing for the United States. So far this year, just over a point per game player, had a pretty good rookie season last year. Is everything on track for him to have what people are hoping he's going to deliver in his draft year? So Quentin Musty is going to be the type of player who frustrates scouts this year. Um, if you watch the Helenka Gretzky Cup, I mean, it was it was a very good representation of where he is currently. A couple fantastic games and a couple games where, you know, he was incredibly frustrating to watch based on some of the decisions he was making with the puck, some of the plays that he was forcing, turnovers, etc. Um, so it, it's just very up and down when it comes to Musty. Uh, the upside is extremely high. Um, he he could easily be uh, a first line winger at the NHL level. He is that skilled. He is that talented, one hundred percent. But I think what scouts are going to have to try to figure out this year is where is this inconsistency stemming from? Um, you know, there's sometimes where he's not willing to use sort of that big frame, big body to get to the middle of the ice. Other times, you know, he's turning the puck over because he's trying to force through multiple defenders and he's just not using his teammates well enough, right? Um, is it is it a, a mind thing? Is, it, is there just a, a lack of processing there? Or is it systems-based? Like, where are these inconsistencies coming from? Um, and that's going to be the challenge for scouts this year. Kind of, um, I kind of mentioned this on a, on a pod uh, not too long ago about Musty kind of reminding me of Brendan Saad in his NHL draft year. And it was sort of why, you know, he was extremely highly touted and ended up falling to the second round because teams were concerned about how he processed the game. He's ultimately gone on to a, a pretty successful NHL career. I don't think it's maybe uh, he didn't reach the upside. I think some, like myself, thought he possessed. But uh, you can't argue with, with how long he's played in the league. And I think that Musty is kind of going to face that similar type of criticism this year, um, especially if he's not able to sort of iron out uh, his play and make it a little bit more consistent. Just with his size, is, it, is there a physical dimension to his game? Sometimes and other times, no, right? And that's, that's again, part of the issue, right? There are times where he's just a perimeter player and he's trying to just kind of set up outside the dots and, uh, for lack of a better term, be more of a trigger man who doesn't really want to work his way into the middle using that size. Um, and there's other times where he is using his body and getting to the, to the net and he is throwing his weight around to, to win battles along the wall and to try to recover loose pucks and work his way back on, on the back check. And 
it's just, you know, what is the real Quentin Musty here, right? Like, which player are we going to see in the future? And is it always going to be this sort of yo-yo act? And when you look at how strong this draft year is for forwards, I mean, there are so many other players who have similar qualities to Musty but are much more consistent in their approach, yeah. right? So that's where he's going to find himself in trouble if he's not able to string together, you know, better performances from not just like from game to game but period to period. Well, that makes sense. One of those guys might be uh, the big forward, six foot two and one hundred and eighty-seven pounds, uh, playing uh, for the Oshawa Generals. And is it uh, is it Calum or Callum Ritchie? Callum Ritchie. Uh, tell me about him, because uh, again, on paper, it seems like there's lots to like. Yeah, honestly, uh, for me, he's a top seven or eight prospect for the draft at this point. Um, I think him and Allen sort of came in as one A, one B, and I think with Richie's start to the year, I think he's he's definitely taken over that top spot for me. I think he's somebody who's right up there with the likes of like Leo Carlson and Braden Yeager, right underneath the Fantilli, Mitchkov, and Bedard grouping. Hmm. Um, he, he is just an incredibly complete player. He is that really strong two-way center um, that can play in any situation and put up numbers, right? And that that's that is one of the most coveted things, other than maybe like a really strong right shot defender, is one of the most coveted things at the draft uh, and in the NHL, right? Um, and and Richie has really elevated his play without the puck this year to an elite level. Um, he's a lot more hungry. He's a lot more physical. Looks a lot more confident and strong on the puck um, and off it. And uh, the results have, have spoken for themselves. He's been one of the best players in the OHL so far this year. And even in the strong draft year, he's he's going to push his way up the ladder uh, and pretty quickly. Um, I, I honestly do. Maybe it's it's biased from from my standpoint, but I think he had a good Halenka Gretzky. Yeah. And I think he's had a fantastic start to this season. And um, I think he's right there with, with the likes of Jaeger and Carlson in that next grouping. Yeah, I wondered if the Halenka, because I mean, he led the team in scoring, and he and Ethan Goche uh, from the Q, it seemed like that might have been their their coming out party to a national audience where they weren't necessarily the household name across the country, but now they are. Uh, is that fair in your opinion? Yeah, I, I think that's very fair. And I think that Richie is the type of guy that as the year goes on, um, will definitely continue to, to build hype, especially playing out of Ontario where yeah. a lot of the mainstream media is, right? I mean, you know the deal. Um, especially playing out of, you know, just outside the GTA in Oshawa too. So the hype machine will, will catch on at some point. And he's definitely going to be a name that uh, the fans are going to know a lot about by the end of the year. Another uh, Kitchener Ranger on your list is uh, Carson Rakoff, who's six foot one, one hundred ninety-five ish pounds. Uh, he is a forward, but again, it's the, the Rangers off to that sluggish start this year, kind of like Guelph, uh, who have uh, maybe underachieved and underwhelmed. Uh, how's his year been? Uh, it's been okay, uh, kind of up and down a little bit. Um, you know, he's he's a power forward in the traditional sense. He's a big body who likes to to play physical, who likes to to play down low. Um, you know, likes to have the puck on his stick driving the net. Um, I think that what we saw at the Linka Gretzky um, was a good representation uh, of the type of player that he is in, in Kitchener and the type of player that he can be moving forward. I think it's all about us trying to figure out, and when I say us, I mean like the scouting community, trying to figure out the offensive upside. Um, I think he's got a lot of upside as a goal scorer and, uh, and as a top six player. Um, and I think that as the year goes on, um, kind of like a trend with with what I said with with Brustovitz is that you know Kitchener is going to get better over the course of the season and I think he's going to be right there in that sort of the thick of that improvement and uh, 
I saw that since Michard got sent down by Montreal that uh, Rakoff has been playing with him in practice. So, I mean, he's, he's getting a lot of opportunity, and I think the numbers will continue to, to be there. I think he's, he's been one of Kitchener's strongest players so far. and um, I think he's going to have a very strong draft here and, and really be a, a first-round candidate. Um, you don't see a lot of players like him anymore, that sort of traditional throwback power forward. Um, the, you know, I wouldn't call him a Tom Wilson type, but he's somebody who can throw his weight around and, and play sort of that heavy game that, that scouts do put a lot of emphasis towards still. And um, to, a, to a certain extent, they're almost unicorns in, in today's age. And we do have a player that, that plays that way. Um, they do get drafted a lot higher often than even the internet or amateur scouting community has. Them. Uh, he is a Brock Otten from McKean's and now also from the Hockey News uh, OHL podcast. Uh, has that got a title, by the way? Yeah, it's uh, THN and the O. So they're all kind of the same. And it's the, in the dub and the, yeah, so kind of trying to be consistent i was trying to push for you know since tony and i are both bald uh yeah. you know something like the bald and the beautiful and the ohl but you know <laughs> I, I get it i get it it makes sense <laughs> all right there's two other guys uh, that i want to ask you about uh I, I know we've got a long time already but let's squeeze these guys in uh, the first is joseph willis uh from the saginaw spirit i had their play-by-play guy on a couple of weeks ago and uh raved about his quick start and it's a fourth round pick, so it's not like somebody who is coming in with necessarily that that first round pedigree. Uh, but he's playing terrific hockey early on. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, there's always a guy or two at this point in the year who really catches your eye, kind of comes out of nowhere with their development, um, and then that's that's sustainable. The odd time you get one that you know gets off to a hot start and it's just not sustainable over the course of the season, right. and they end up you know not even being drafted or being more of a late round pick. Whereas Willis honestly is somebody that I do think is going to push his way up the draft ladder this year. Uh, I, I can't say enough good things about the, the IQ and his vision with the puck. He just seems to, to have a really strong uh, understanding of how to play with the puck and, and his decision-making and his vision is really top-notch. Um, he makes his linemates better. Um, he understands how to play without the puck. Really strong two-way player. Um, you can just tell that there, there is a very high upside because of the way he thinks the game um i think some of those physical tools are gonna need to develop more i think given his lack of size he's gonna need to get quicker um i think that's gonna be priority number one for sure but at the same time he's playing his first year in the ohl out of you know the triple a loop in the u.s um which is a big jump and uh let's see how he does as the year goes on with uh, the trainers and the uh, athletic staff in Saginaw and uh, if he can get a little quicker by the end of the year and, and how that sort of projects to, to the future. Uh, but I think there's a ton to like and I think his hot start is for real, honestly. I, I can't say enough good things uh, about this player uh, having watched him a bunch so far this year. Now, not the biggest guy, and you mentioned that. He's listed at 5'10", about 165 pounds. So in my head, I'm picturing uh, frame-wise sort of like what we saw with Jagger Furcus last year, uh, but maybe not quite at that same uh, skill and talent level yet, and maybe not the speed? I would say they're kind of different players, yeah. Um, uh, definitely in terms of the frame, absolutely. Um, but Willis, I think, is already a better two-way player than Furcus was hmm. um, in his draft year, and I think is not that doesn't have that same sort of explosiveness with the puck that, that Furcus does. Willis is more of like a, 
he takes his time in the offensive game or offensive end. He likes to slow things down. Um, and that's definitely not Ferguson's game. Um, uh, I, I mean, the size wise and in terms of like, you know, Ferguson didn't exactly come out of nowhere, but um, there definitely is that pedigree is not a, as a extremely high selection. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, I do think that we'll see Willis uh, end up being an NHL draft pick this year. I think the guy that I'd probably compare him to would be somebody like Riley Kidney out of the queue. Okay. Um, another guy that's not the biggest, but just a really smart player um, and somebody that you could see having a future in the NHL as they sort of improve some of those athletic physical tools which are very improvable right you, you can't teach the processing ability sometimes right like that's the hardest thing for players to truly improve on um but you know improving power and improving strength and uh those are things that that are attainable right brock last guy on the list is bo Aiki, defenseman with the uh, barry colts uh, and there's a reason why you wanted to chat about this guy what is it Honestly, one of my personal favorites in the OHL this year. Um, I think that, especially if Brant Clark doesn't get sent back, which is kind of looking more and more likely as he plays more for L.A., um, he's going to be the top defender for the Colts, uh, which I think are going to be a strong team in the OHL. And um, He is, is a really strong two-way defender already, uh, one of the better skating defenders in the OHL already, um, and somebody that I think has – really solid top four upside as an NHL player. Um, you know, he, he came into the Lincoln-Gretzky camp, um, I thought, as a likely selection, and then got injured on the first day of camp and had to withdraw. Um, so I think that's kind of like keeping him under the radar a little bit right now. Um, but I see him as, as a potential sort of like top 40 pick. Um, he's somebody that I think is really going to grow on people as the year goes on because he just doesn't make a lot of mistakes, and the mobility is definitely a, a very positive asset. Um, and you just look at the way that he moves the puck and the way that he makes decisions quickly. It's just built for, for today's game. All right. Well, that's, uh, I'll write his name down, and we'll check back with, uh, with on him later and uh, with you about him later. Uh, what do you guys got coming up at McKean's here in the next little bit? Yeah, so uh, probably in the next week or two, we're going to start looking at our first uh, official draft ranking for 2023. We had that initial one in our 2022 draft guide, but uh, you know those are always hard to, to project. I think when you look at the first official one of the season, it, it'll be coming up soon. We'll start to, to meet and, and hash that out. Uh, we're going to do a top 50 and, and uh, obviously have some write-ups with that and uh, our draft coverage will uh, will start really kicking into gear soon. We just did a, a little piece sort of with each scout sort of outlining uh, a player that's caught their eye early on in the year. And um, no surprise that mine was Bo Aiki. Um, uh, so, yeah, um, lots of good things coming up there. And obviously the, the podcast that you mentioned, the Hockey News, will be a weekly thing too. Fantastic. Brock, as always, man. Great to uh, get you on the show and look forward to doing it again throughout the course of this season. Always my pleasure, man. That was Brock Otten from McKean's Hockey and, and also the new podcast from the Hockey News called THN on O that he's doing with uh, Tony Ferrari. I know the uh, version for the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League came out earlier this week. Uh, Jamie Tozer, one of the uh, fellas involved in that one. Don't know who is hosting for the USHL or for the uh, WHL uh, podcast from the Hockey News. I know who isn't. Uh, that would be me because I was not asked about it. Uh, curious to see what they do for the USHL because uh, I know from experience it's hard to find 
people who are covering that league. So uh, interested and intrigued to see who uh, the Hockey News finds to host that. They are not doing an NAHL one, but my last guest on this week's episode is coming from the Null, arguably the hottest team in the North American Hockey League. We're going to speak to their head coach. That's next here on the Pipeline Show, brought to you by Willock Beef Turkey. We need this win, you know. We got a lot of losses. To yeah, win. we got a lot. Let's start making it. Let's start winning. Let's go to the top, at the bottom. That's what we're here for, guys, to win. Hey, this is Dave Hansen of the Hansen Brothers from the movie Slapshot. I'm ready to put on a foil but not drink any of that stinking red bear as I sit down and listen to the Pipeline Show with my good buddy, Gee. Just a little bit south of Saskatoon. Take my guitar for boarding room. Nothing compares to the smile on a child's face after their wish has been granted. The Rainbow Society of Alberta is dedicated to granting wishes throughout the province to children who have been diagnosed with a life-threatening or severe chronic medical illness. And you can help too. View the wishes, refer a child, and donate at rainbowsociety.ab.ca or get involved as a volunteer. Having a wish come true fills a child's heart with hope and happiness. Visit rainbowsociety.ab.ca today. You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. You don't scare me. I got chunks of guys like you in my stool. Final segment to go on this week's episode of The Pipeline Show, which, of course, as always, brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. It's Alberta's best beef jerky. You can go to wilhockbeefjerky.com and have it shipped to you anywhere in Western Canada, which, unfortunately, is way too far for my uh, final guest of the week. Uh, as we head down to uh, Texas, we're going to talk some NAHL and uh, the hottest team in the Nall right now. I think everybody would agree it would have to be my next guest uh, who's got his club playing some fantastic hockey. It's the Lone Star Brahmas and head, head coach Dan Waldfong. Uh, Dan, welcome to the Pipeline Show. How are you? Great. Thanks for having me. I appreciate you making the time like this. Uh, the team just out onto the road. You got a, a busy weekend of, uh, of games, and uh, I guess when you're playing as well as you are, you I don't think you want to have long breaks, do you? No, we want to continue to keep going. Our team's playing pretty good hockey, but uh, there's still we're winning and learning. That's what I call it. There's <laughs> a lot, a uh, lot of stuff still to clean up, but we're doing a pretty good job of what we're doing right now. What were your expectations for your team at the start of the season or in the off season? Did did it look like even in August were you thinking, well, this this is setting up to be a pretty good year for us? Not really. To tell you the truth, uh, we. We lost a lot. We had, uh, you know, we only returned basically uh, six, five guys. So um, we didn't expect to have a start. We did. We, I think we got really good. We, we got a lot of our decor back. Um, that most of those guys are decor that we got back, and we got really good goaltending right now. So that cleans up a lot of the mistakes that we are making. And, uh, you know, our fours are learning to play good defending, hot, good defense and, and creating offense from the playing good defense. So they're really buying in as a group. Is that much turnover normal from one year to the next uh, in the NAHL? I know you got guys who will be going off to, to college hockey before, you know, before their junior eligibility is up. So I imagine it's, there's more turnover than say it would be in a junior A league in Canada, but it, it almost seems like there might be even more because maybe you got some guys going to the USHL too. Yeah, correct. Like we had, I'll just, in the last couple of years, that with six, D one commits two years ago. Last year we had ten Division one commits, and 
a lot of those other guys, uh, they're going to, you know, division three, or like you said, going the younger guys are going to the USHL. Mm-hmm. So we are, this is normal for us to lose a lot of guys. If we get, you know, the teams that really get a lot of guys back seem to get off a good start. That's what's kind of surprising. We usually have slower starts and have great, really good finishes. So I hope we have a great start and a great finish. We'll see. The importance really then for an organization like yours in your league would be scouting, recruiting, getting those players, because you got to find a new pipeline to, to players every offseason. Correct. Yeah, we, we take it a little different. Like, we really try and mix in having a good mix of younger guys and older guys. But uh, last year we had a bunch of guys that have been with us for three years. So mm. those guys just ended up getting old with us and they ended up getting D1 deals and D3 deals. So it uh, it ended up working out for for them. But it's uh, we try and get a good balance and good mix, but there's not all, it doesn't always work that way. So last year we lost a lot and we're excited about this year. You're drawing players from all across the United States. I see you got a, a Swedish player uh, on your team uh, in, in your goaltender, William Graham. Uh, and I saw a couple Canadians on your roster and uh, even a Russian as well. So uh, you're, you're uh, really beating the bushes to get guys. Yeah, our league does a really good job of, you know, getting good imports in the league. We, I think we do a really good job of, like, getting guys committed too. I think, mm-hmm. um, you know, we have really good coaches in this league. And if you don't have good players it's tough to win games because coaches are doing a really good job adjusting and you know they're playing the right way so um it's scouting is a big part of our league dan wildfung is the uh head coach and general manager you're wearing both hats aren't you yep yeah all right been been doing that for a while now with the lone star brahmas he's my guest as we're looking at uh, what i describe as the top team in the in the north american hockey league right now by winning percentage, you are. I know you're. You haven't played as many games, uh, I believe, as uh, as Maryland has. So they've got a bit of a uh, a point gap on you. But uh, that's another division. You, you you don't cross paths with the other divisions all that often during the course of the season. The the footprint of the North American Hockey League is gigantic. You really stick in your own division for the most part, don't you? Yeah, we do. It's really you stay in your. You play under division at the beginning of the year just to showcase in right. Blaine, Minnesota. And then after that, you stay in your division till you get down to the finals. Then we get down to the final four. Then it goes cross division again uh, to try and win the Robinson Cup. So it, it, it's it's a very uh, owner friendly league where they do a really good job of cost efficiency of trying to make it where it's uh, you know you don't have to travel or you're spending millions of dollars traveling all right well you can't have success uh, unless you've got good goaltending and it appears you've got that with both of your guys no matter which guy is starting for you william graham who we talked about i might be mispronouncing that last name if i am i apologize but uh, five and one record in his seven starts uh, or seven appearances a buck 94 goals against average and a 927 save percentage so he's been terrific for you as a 20 year old then you've got arthur smith who's well he's only perfect four and oh uh, and a a .59 goals against average and a .967 save percentage, by far the best numbers in the league. A guy that's going to Princeton, so you know he's a, an awfully smart guy as well as a good goaltender. Uh, but that gives you such a, a strong base. Every night you, you have a chance to win just because you're goaltenders. Yeah, we we've, we had one tandem like this in the past uh, 
uh, it was a couple years ago and then COVID happened. I, we only lost nine games all year and I think we had 16 shutouts. Wow. Uh, this tandem is equally as good and it's not better. Um, but we're very excited about this tandem. We've always had really good goaltending here in Lone Star. And, uh, like this is just, it's like have two guys with this caliber is just unheard of. Really. It's hard to find one guy, let alone two guys. Yeah. And we're very excited and very fortunate. I find it interesting that when it comes to your goalies, statistically, they're at the top of the league. With your skaters, offensively, you don't have a guy in the top 20 of scoring. No. You're obviously doing this by committee, which yeah. is, it's really interesting that you you know, you know don't have a guy. You're the top team in the league, but you don't have a leading scorer uh, in the league. Is that by design, or is that just the way it's working out? And I, I'm guessing you don't mind either way. No, we, we obviously had a guy last year named Nicholas Nemo. He was, you know, he ended up getting almost 40 goals for us. And he was one of the top players in the league. And uh, we had uh, Transky, which was one of the top players in the league. But we had, we were top heavy with a line um, that did most of the scoring. This year, we're getting contributions from everyone, mm-hmm. which, you know, when I've won championships and that's what it takes, it takes, you know, four lines you know, just pitching in every night so as someone new, and uh, we're excited about that. Uh, Coach, I wanted to ask you a little about your path uh, to get to where you are. The, the The NAHL, for my audience, is fairly new. I've only been talking about the league for this season and last season, so I'm still learning about the league myself. But, you know, I, I find it interesting. I look I look you up, and you played uh, professional hockey, you played college hockey uh, at Coldgate, uh, and then uh, you spent a lot of time in the CHL with the uh, mighty Shreveport Mudbugs, a fantastic name. <laughs> Uh, and, and yeah. uh, you ended up in uh, in the Lone Star State uh, and Fort Worth, Dallas area. That's where your team is uh, located, correct? At Northbridge Hills. That's yes, in that area. Yeah, Northwestern Hills. Yeah, and we're right in the middle between Dallas and Fort Worth. Yeah, I've been there sixteen years now. The time flies. Uh, I coached pro in the Central League, and I first started my coaching career right out of playing pro which is very rare. You don't get a coaching head coaching job once you get done playing. Hmm. I usually have to go and be assistant, uh, but they gave me the reins, and uh, we were very successful our, our first year as a pro and with the organization, and then we ended up changing gears and going to uh, the NHL, which uh, was more cost-efficient for our ownership group, and uh, we we struggled our first year, but after that, we found really good success with, uh, you know, building players and helping them move on and helping our organization be one of the top teams every year in the league for its consistency. But we got a really good uh, city down here. Guys get to the Stars games, Cowboy games, NASCAR. But, uh, you know, they're, they're in a winning program and winning culture too, which that's what they want. And we get a lot of guys committed. So, um they, I feel that's the three main factors guys really were looking for. Well, you're moving players on to the next level uh, successfully, uh, and so is the, the the league in general. So many players going to Division One and then beyond uh, from the North American Hockey League, uh, and I'm sure there's opportunities for coaches who are successful in the NHL to to move on as well. But you stayed. Uh, is that by uh, by choice, or are you still looking for an opportunity to to move on? No, I've had I've had opportunities to move and leave um multiple times i but uh, my family was young at the time and i didn't really feel like moving them all over the country Mm -hmm. um i had a really good good spot here in dallas and 
uh, my family loved it. My kids loved it. My wife had a good job. So, um, it wasn't really need to move her, her, uh, my family's in Fort Worth, Dallas. Um, that's her family. So there was really no need to, you know, jump ship. I had a chance to go to Colgate potentially and be an assistant there and coach in the USHL. But like I said, when you have a young family, it comes not just on my choices. It comes on, uh, you know, their choices too and their dreams. So, um, later on, once they get a little older, I definitely want to try it, go down that route. But right now it's, it's really good for our family to be where we're at. Was Coach Vaughn the coach uh, at Colgate when you were a player? Yes. Wow. Yeah, he coached me uh, four years there. and He's done a great job there, and he's a great coach, great mentor. Yeah, they're having a, a good little run here in the last couple of years as well with some talented players, uh, many of them Canadian. It's, uh, I'm sure that's a tempting offer, though, if uh, if you got that opportunity to go play for, uh, for uh, or work, not play for, but to coach with the guy who was your head coach as a player. Now, outside of uh, your work in the NAHL, According to Elite Prospects, you're also an assistant coach at the at the local high school and have been for a long time. Um, yeah, I'm a head coach of the. It's just a JV team. Um, they asked me to help out, and I, you know, we we have extra time here sometimes to help with uh, in the community and the youth program. Um, and I wanted to, you know, give back to these guys. They it's great. They they're actually known for their football teams. Sure. And. Uh, uh, their football teams win championships every year in high school. And it's hard to win because a lot of high schools down there. But uh, yeah, their hockey programs been really um, making steps in the right direction. And I wanted to, you know, help from the ground floor up at the at the uh, JV level. Well, I'm curious. So with all the time you spent in that area now, the almost two decades worth. How much you've seen the evolution of uh, of minor hockey in Texas? I'm sure the Dallas Stars uh, arriving there a number of years ago has uh, uh, has ushered in a a new wave of evolution in that regard as well. But uh, we, I mean, at the Western Hockey League level, we're seeing a lot of players coming up uh, now, as that's uh, in the territory of the Western Hockey League and uh, the uh, your league, the USHL, and of course Division One uh, college. It seems like there's a lot of players coming out of Texas now and. And uh, you've been around to see all of that. Uh, what's been the uh, the biggest difference, you think, over the last two decades? Well, I think, you know, kids are really taking this sport seriously. And they're they're making it uh, as much as they I like when we used to do the multi-sports. They, you know, they're really diving into this is they want it. This is their passion and their their way to get to college hockey or to go to the Western League and play professional hockey. So it, they've had great programs here to help a lot of kids. There's uh, been NHL draft picks right from Dallas, Texas, and mm-hmm. um, it's exciting. There's a new group coming up of young players that are really, really ultra-skilled and talented, and it's great. It's been homegrown here in Dallas, Texas. So it's exciting to watch and so you can see these players really develop and grow as a as a, as a team, as an individual. So, have you noticed the fan base down there? The hockey fans oh, maybe yeah. a lot more educated now than they were two decades ago. Yeah, like when I first came to Louisiana and when I played pro in Shreveport, like they were cheering when the puck, you know, goalie stopped the puck or an icing, <laughs> they would be cheering. I'm like, oh boy, but now you know they know everything like they're dialed right in so they they're very educated they know what they want the brand they want 
um, it's exciting down here because it's you know they, they show a lot of support, a lot of passion for the game. It's right. great. There's a lot of people, especially from Dallas. There, uh, they move to Dallas because their jobs. A lot of Canadians down here too move hmm. from their jobs, and uh, you know they're they bring their kids down, their families, and they uh, help develop the sport as well. Well, that sounds fantastic. Coach, I really appreciate your time. I know you got uh, work to do here tonight uh, and, uh, and then a busy weekend uh, as your club is on the road. Uh, well, wish you the best of luck this season. I hope you don't mind if I uh, call you again down the road. No problem. Thank you so much for your time. That's Dan Wildfong, the uh, GM and the head coach of the Lone Star Brahmas out of the North American Hockey League. And uh, as I mentioned at the start, they might not have the most points in the league, but they have the best winning percentage in the league. So uh, they got some games in hand. Uh, however, they don't cross over and play outside of their division, except at the very start of the year during the uh, showcase that kicks off uh, the uh, new season. And then again at the end of the year when they get down to the division champs uh, all meeting up in one place. It actually works out really well. I, I kind of like that that playoff format uh, to some degree. It's a little bit different. When you're a league that does cross over all season long, I don't think it would be uh, as exciting. But this way you almost treat it a bit like uh, four strange teams getting together. I think that's intriguing. All right, that is going to do it for this week's episode of the Pipeline Show. Uh, thanks to all four of the guests that you heard from uh, this segment. Dan Wildfong from the uh, Lone Star Brahmas. We also heard from Tanner Molendyke of the Saskatoon Blades. Shane Frederick from Apakato. And Brock Otten from McKean's slash The Hockey News. Next week on the show, I got a bunch of ideas. Uh, no actual official invites out yet for next week's show. So if there's somebody that you would like me to get on, whether it's a player, a coach, a scout, a media guy, or girl, uh, I am all ears. So hit me up on Twitter, at TPS underscore Gee, and maybe we'll check that out uh, next week. Uh, but between now and then, get out and watch some junior college hockey as everybody is underway now. And that way, you and I can talk about it next week, right here on another episode of The Pipeline Show, brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. My name's Keith Flaming. See ya! <laughs>